Welcome to Joey Ito's Conversations. Today's conversation is with Virginia Heffernan. She's a digital culture expert and author of Magic and Loss, The Internet as Art. The conversation was originally organized as a Skype call by Helio. Joey, it's great to see you. And, uh, and um, I remember fondly our uh, conversation at the Connecticut Forum. Yeah, no, that was, that was, uh, it's, it's funny sort of meeting people for the first time, kind of conversing with people sort of in a public forum. Yeah. And I, I think, I think this is going to end up online too, but what I've, I've started doing these Facebook lives with people I know when I just go to see them to catch up because yeah. I find that, that, that the formality and the structure kind of gives a sort of intentionality to what you're saying that you wouldn't if you're just sort of, you know, chit-chatting over coffee. So I think that's right. I mean, Hannah Rosen, who, um, you know, the journalist did a talk recently with um, her mother, who's a Trump supporter, and Hannah now works for NPR. Mm-hmm. And at NPR, she's not allowed to have political convictions or express them publicly. And because this was a podcast, she mm-hmm. had had to be sort of neutral and hear out her mother on Trump. And she mm-hmm. said it's the best conversation they've ever had. Oh, interesting. You know, in other words, like because we are cheating out a little bit to this audience, um, uh-huh. we there may be I don't know even um, less artificiality in a weird way. Um, it would be funny though if our if we're, our friendship continued to always be on the record. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. There's we'll conserve every bit of intellectual property. We're that important. Um, so yeah, I want, I want to go back to this, that thing, because, uh, you know, what you were just saying about, um, about the role of cultural experience or sensory emotional experience in sort of, uh, evaluating, you call it it, but, you know, mm-hmm. possibly a proxy for it is the internet or technology, mm-hmm. uh, the future. Um, one of the things you, I remember very well you saying when, when we talked last is that, um, uh, you know, when, like, when you think of something like genetically altering deer ticks so that they don't mm-hmm. give, um, so they don't infect people with Lyme's disease, one of the things you said is what could go wrong, right? What could mm-hmm. go wrong? Like unleashing all these ticks. And I keep getting that in my head that you say, what could go wrong? Because you're quite willing to say that this is, there's no thumb on the scale for these things to be, for these technologies to be good. Mm-hmm. And we see this in the culmination, this recent, you know, catastrophe with the election of Donald Trump and the, mm-hmm. the consequences of that and possibly the Russian hacking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in that way, you're different from people who hate either hate technology or love it. That mm-hmm. uh, you have this amazing neutrality. You know, one well, other so- thing I'll say is in the book, you say you ha- use this three word sentence. So it goes. And mm-hmm. I think what you're talking about is fertilizer being used first to save people and then as chemical weapons. And mm-hmm. just there's something neutral. I don't know. Well, so so just to go back to the tick thing for a second. So yeah. so one of our new faculty, uh, Kevin Esfeld, is is working on CRISPR gene drive, which is the thing that allows um, you to edit a gene. So all the offspring <clears throat> will inherit that edit. It turns out the Lyme's disease. I was, I was, I, I may have misspoken. Where editing is the mice who carry the disease ah. and give it to the ticks. And um, what he's done, I think, since we met, is he's now gone to Nantucket and started doing these town hall meetings where you have people who don't like GMOs or you know, you know, the the they're kind of I don't know they're they're uh, conservative about certain types of technology. Yeah. And he had, I said, I think he said he had like a hundred people and he talked through this whole process of editing the genes, releasing these uh, modified mice into the wild and it's attack on Lyme's disease. But he, but his whole thing, which is amazing because he's one of the first, he was a co-author of the first paper on CRISPR gene drive. Mm. Um, and, but he said, I don't want to release this in a place where we haven't allowed the people who are affected by it to be in charge so Mm -hmm. they had a conversation first of all which is amazing amazing thing is that they unanimously supported him going forward with the research and considering the population is very interesting and it's also neat because nantucket has this kind of town hall sort of you know democratic process as part of their dna yeah right and um and then also you know the the idea is it's an island where they can test it on an you know Mm. uh an uninhabited island and then on nantucket But but the thing is, so Kevin is a uh, synthetic biologist, 
or or and and works on evolution and he he joined the media lab because everybody else would let him work on the science but didn't want him spending all this time on this other stuff which was the ethics the safeguards the democracy uh-huh. and that's what that's what we were excited about and i think that's the the the, the hard part right now is that it's hard to get tenure as a scientist if what you care about are all of the other social effects and so you know as you point out i think and i think you would agree that that whether we're talking about the internet or anything it, it's 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 neutral in the average and that it has mm-hmm. great things and, and negative things but i think we can be responsible at least try to be responsible for the technologies we create right and so that's right right and and you could as a scientist you can see how it affects society you can get feedback from society and i think that uh the 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 way that nature works because mm-hmm. there's a lot of death in nature there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we would consider uh uh sort of i don't know label it as bad or evil but somehow nature is able to thrive and flourish mm-hmm. and i think it has a lot to do with the uh, the way that it, um systems self regulate and that's right you know, and i think that that's kind of what we're trying to say is that it's not that the technology is good or evil but it is but as participants in the system we can try to make the system a system of flourishing rather than a system that dies or a system that goes into chaos and and i think that you do that by sort of taking responsibility in your own way and and in your book i i i love the sort of approach of art and design because because the thing that i think we're missing a little bit is having people have the notion that they have to kind of have a sense of sensibility or taste mm. and and that the emotional piece is actually the thing that should drive your intuition on whether what you're doing is is good or not that's you know? yeah i think that's absolutely um i mean th- these are such provocative ideas one of the um one of the things that sort of interested me in the book because i started writing it um I started writing it when I was a little bit of a Bolshevik for the tech, tech revolution, you know, mm-hmm. and I was a little bit impatient, you know, the way Sovietologists used to be like, oh, don't worry, soon Europe will fall and these lines will go away and we'll achieve this, you know, Marxist utopia. I was sort of like, yes, yes, I know you miss print books, but just like, you know, speed up, right? Like I, you talk I, about speed in, in, in whiplash and like that's all behind us. Um, but as I started to, take the measure of the grief uh, that people had around these new things. And also the sort of um, difficulty our brains and hearts have with, with the uncanny or with disgust um, and realize that that was inflecting our conversations about technology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the humanities do a beautiful job helping you, helping people or, or dramatizing how, um, squeamishness might be navigated, how the idea of, you know, pain might be navigated. So you take that conversation in Nantucket, which is like, what, it, I mean, I, I would like to see a, you know, seasons long Netflix series about just that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, you have people suffering with Lyme disease in New England, and it ruining lives and, and, you know, waylaying people for years from their careers, their marriages, their lives. Then you have the general, generalized, um, but very abstract anxiety about genetic modification. Um, I did some work uh, for Impossible Foods, which makes mm-hmm. uh, meat from plants. Yep. You probably yep. know about this and have uh, ha- Pat Brown and his lab at Stanford have managed to um, extract heme, you know, from vegetables, uh, which is like a, you know, blood kind of molecule mm-hmm. and, and can make something that tastes and is meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and one of the things that he was interested in, because this is nothing if not GMO, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, he said, yeah, but 80% of Americans, and I could have this number wrong, sorry for more fake news, but <laughs> something like 80% of Americans um, want any food with genetic material mm-hmm. labeled. In other words, they don't really want genetic material in their food. Right, so right. that means no meat or plants. I don't know, like maybe you could grind <laughs> up stones. <laughs> um, but, um, but so, you know, part of this is these are phantoms. Mm-hmm. And it's a near religious piety and zealotry about um, 
you know, the, the dangers of, of, of mm-hmm. science writ large, which is, you know, I mean, I have my biases from literature, but I think, you know, reading H.G. Wells, reading the romantics, reading the literature of 120 years ago is really a nice touchstone for this. I mean, the just terrible mm-hmm. anxieties about that mad scientist and his labs and pipettes and like how he must be destroying the human heart. But, mm-hmm. you know, nature's, as you say, nature's terrifying and Lyme disease really ruins lives. So, of course, it takes the conversation like, I'm going to be incredibly sensitive to your grief and terror around the prospect of GMOs. There's all kinds of squeamishness and anxiety and nausea and uncanniness about this. On the other hand, look at your lives. Look mm-hmm. at your lives. And um, that's the it, language of the heart. You know, that, that's... Yep. And, and it's and it's interesting how I find that how how practical our our sensibilities and our squeamishness is to practical things. So so like we take take the test tube baby thirty years ago, it was like Frankenstein. Oh, it was on right. the cover of Time magazine. Yeah. Now it's covered under insurance, right? So Amazing. so so I th- yeah. I think that if it saves lives and is necessary, like li- curing Lyme's disease, I think it's when. I think it's a couple of things. I think it's the way that the technology is introduced. So GMOs were introduced as sort of a corporate oppression of farmers, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I bet you know. I, 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 you know, if 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 electricity hadn't been, uh, you know, Paris being lit up, but had been electric chairs, maybe it would have taken longer for electricity to be turned into a cool thing. And so, <laughs> so you know, so it, it feels. And this yeah. is one of the things that Kevin's really into is let's not make the first introduction of gene drive some sort of colonial, oppressive, or dangerous thing that scares people, yes. but have it be some uninformed decision by the people who are being affected that saves lives, that is sort of well-managed and well-understood. And so I think, I think that's, that, that, that the deployment of technology is, 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 is a piece of that. Having said that, the first deployments of internet were so wonderful that we got techno-utopian and yes. then lo- lost our guard. And, 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 yeah. we, we did. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I love it that you are so willing to, in the moment, in front of people, change your mind. And it, it's, you know, it's something that I, uh, it's something that I also want to cultivate is that capacity to, to like be changed by new well, data. And, and, and isn't and we're, that science, right? And we're, or, and we're both affiliated in our own ways with the New York Times. Yeah. And and what a moment right now where journalists really need to, I think, it's, it's I think there there are a lot of people still trying to like pretend it didn't, that they didn't get it wrong. Yeah. But but the way I'm thinking about it, sorry, I'm sort of pushing it back on you, yeah. uh, the journalist part of you, but but it's it's like journalism used to be the media writing about the battleground, but the media is the battleground. And you're not, you're not, you are the news now, not writing about the news, you know? And I think the journalists haven't figured out that they are the ones being played and they're the pawns in the game, not writing about the pawns. And that every time a major mainstream newspaper writes about something, all the kids are giggling, you know, and, and that they're, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, and, and, and I think that that, that, willingness to sort of reflect right now is a really important sort of moment. I don't know how, how you've been thinking about it as a, as a, as an author and a journalist. I mean, I, to just today was thinking, it seems like the sort of psychic water supply of the, of, of the media. And I don't even know whether to say mainstream, I think I would say English language mixed case media, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, but, um, has been, you know, where we like, I, I know, I know, and of course, you know, admire that you didn't go to college, but, you know, Times writers typically write like the college essays we used to apply to college and then refined over and over again while we were in college. And I'm just not sure that that is an operating system that is, um, that can handle, or, I, okay, I want to finish that sentence. It's as though, the the water supply of the media has been has been fracked and poisoned mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and we it's really hard to like quench your thirst either you're mm-hmm. like redefining what your thirst for information is or for um or what citizenship looks like vis-a-vis the media or you're um 
you know, trying to slake that thirst in different ways. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that is, that gets to one of the things I've been interested in is do we double down maybe on complex mixed case, uh, you know, English, Japanese, um, traditional languages, mm -hmm. or do we, you know, I've been very interested now that some of the Russian hackers are, mm -hmm. you know, will occasionally show up on Twitter or show up in, in English, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. they are, you know, really quite illiterate in, in English. Mm -hmm. I, I, their mm -hmm. Russian might be gorgeous, although... Mm -hmm. Um, probably not. Um, although probably not. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, this Masha Gessen article about how the Soviets uh, corrupted the language so much that people, that it became an act of resistance to continue to read Tolstoy and Turgenev mm -hmm. and remember mm -hmm. the richness of the yeah. Russian language. So yeah. we're seeing, we're either seeing language corrupted at the level of, of Twitter and by, you know, wonderful if black hat coders who don't speak mm -hmm. ordinary language um, or that's the only direction to go. So mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like white hat anti-cyber terrorists who are our heroes, or if, as I say, we double down on the, you know, English language equivalent of, of mm -hmm. Tolstoy. And, mm -hmm. you know, Samantha B's team just told me in house, all they're doing right now is reading Edmund Burke mm -hmm. because so, yeah. Talk. So, so I, I, I would say two metaphors. So, so my, my my working theory is that um, mainstream media are the red coats and uh, everybody else are the gorillas, right? So yeah. I don't, I have a feeling that while there may be some inspiration, I don't think we're going back. And I think that, yeah. that the sort of stuffiness that we cherish is like classical music. And um, mm -hmm. when I use the music metaphor, I, so I was a disc jockey. Yeah. And um, I believe there's an art in being a DJ. And I was just talking to another uh, 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 musician and, and tools like Ableton Live let you remix and remix. Yeah. And, and real musicians don't believe that people who don't make the original sounds are musicians. But right. there's a tremendous amount of creativity. And in fact, I would say if you're, if you're trying to hold people's attention for 10 hours, a DJ has more creative output mm -hmm. um, in reading the audience and playing the music than a musician who's playing a song that they play over and over and over again, right? And so, yeah. so, so what's where, where I, what I think is happening is that the creativity is going to a different place, mm -hmm. right? So, so it's just a different game, right? Yeah. And so, and and the, and the hard part for the media is the game is, and, and you write talk about information in your book. It's it's the game is no longer a physical fight that the reporter is covering. The game is actually the reporter itself, and so it's gotten so meta that mm. it's really hard because then it becomes sort of a fish water thing, right? Because as a journalist, Absolutely. when you see something bad, you write about it. And that's the yeah. hammer. Yeah. But what the kids are trying to do is get you to write about them. Yeah. So every time you are appalled and you write about it more, you're just feeding. It's the whole field the troll thing. Yeah. It's so funny because it, a journalist's reaction to anything is so predictable. They're going to write about I it. I know. Right. <laughs> and, and so, so th I think there's, there's two things happening. So one, you've got a, a somewhat classical system that we're trying to preserve the tradition. Mm -hmm. And then two, the, 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 ba the, the battleground has changed so that it's hard to see because it's about you now. And journalists yeah. has always been third, well, not always, but in recent history has been third person. You know, even at the yeah. times we talk about, you know, even if it's a times journalist, you often say, and there was a there was a journalist there, you know. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and he told you, a right? journalist. That's right. Yeah. Um, sometimes he told me. Um, <laughs> I uh, yeah. The reporter observed. Um, I you know it's possible. I I think we may be saying the same thing. In that I don't want I wouldn't want journalism to stand for journalism journalistic the journalistic dialect that idiom maybe have maybe very short lived. And it may be that literary language that well predates journalism and, it, and you know, journalism is said to be at a seventh, seventh grade reading level. I mean, these are just approximations. Uh, Trump uh, incidentally talks at a something like kindergarten to second grade reading level, meaning like it's when some of the kids are reading and some of the kids aren't. Right. So it's like kind of barely literate and oral, obviously not written, um, except, you know, short tweets. So you know, there is a very complex kind of language that um, I think 
you know, I'm not sure, but you might imagine belongs to that category of uh, command line language mm -hmm. that, you know, must be read straight uh, with a long attention span. And I've been talking to coder friends of mine about how the literary imagination does really have something in common with the, the you know, the brilliant coder who's dyslexic, the way that, you know, you like your peripheral vision is very developed. Mm -hmm. Very, very good readers of literature um, are they almost know the end of the book. They sort of mm -hmm. get the end of the book and the beginning of the book at the same time. Mm -hmm. Or they have a paragraph or they see things in the corner of their eye and they are telling another story on top of the story they're reading. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. this definitely happens with Shakespeare that you, mm -hmm. that, you know, the way the folios are put together that you can, you know, the way a great debugger can spot this can be mm -hmm. like, this is the problem. Mm -hmm. This is the problem that there's not, um, it's possible that journalism, that the seventh mm -hmm. grade reading level was a, is a, sh was a short form, form way. I mean, short lat lived way to shore up the middle class, mm -hmm. to inscribe mm -hmm. certain, you know, American values. And the editor is an invention of, of, mm -hmm. of America. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the person that's like, this needs to be short and we need to tell you what the whale is, you know, is it the mm -hmm. man or the whale? Mm -hmm. Is Moby mm -hmm. Dick the man or the whale? Right. Mm -hmm. We can assume nothing. It's actually very hand holding. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. even the New Yorker that's supposed to be, you know, the height of literacy mm -hmm. is, you know, makes no assumptions. Like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Twitter is so impacted and cryptic and like just for mm -hmm. the like most rarefied minds compared in some ways to that mm -hmm. long line of post-war journalism that's like, don't worry. Well, we're going to teach you. We're patient mm -hmm. with you. It's okay for generalists. In any case, there may be some Tolstoyan, Dickensian, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, Melvillian language yep. that will itself stand in as like, you know, I'm trying to be hopeful so, here, but a bulwark so, against so, this other, so, this kind of, uh, as you say, uncaring disruption represented by uh -huh. Donald Trump. So, so are, you, are you kind of saying maybe Trump is more like James Joyce? Oh, <laughs> uh, God. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, maybe more like, I mean, Joyce and, you know, Elliot are, are like your DJs. Yeah. I mean, they're super, uh, they're super techie and they're always quoting, you know, mm -hmm, like the, mm -hmm. the DJ thing, the mix is yeah. that you're using other people's language all the time. Well, it, and, and, and I do think that that's, so one of my favorite DJs um, that I learned from, uh, he would always go to the sources of the samples and he would, amazing job of like bringing the original and, and mixing it together with the remix and the sample. And, and, and it, it's, and, and so it's interesting because the DJ does have to know the history, yes. but then, but then they present it in the context of the moment, right? So, yeah. so, so, so I, I, and that's kind of the editorial curatorial part. And I think that's kind of what I think a lot of people feel the internet disrupted in a bad way, yes. because I think that the books, I mean, Seth Godin was talking about this, like it used to be hard to publish a book. And so the book publishers became kind of these amazing curators yes. of what should be in print. Yes. And similarly with, 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 with the uh, um, mainstream media. It's it's interesting to see what's emerged, right? Because I, I think it if is. you take your judge, judgment, and, and you do a really great job in your book of taking that judgy part out yeah. and looking at games and other things for what they are, and to try to, and this is, I think, key, is and, and this, this gets back to sort of the changing the game, because if you have smart people interacting, they're going to create art at some layer, whether yeah. the art is the yucks that you get for getting journalists to say something funny or to, 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 yeah. to, I mean, I, I mean, even like, oh, I don't remember if you remember like Carl Malamud, I think it, it got somebody to use RTFM, which says, as we all know, read the fucking manual yeah, that's right. in the New York times by lying to them about what it stood for. I mean, you know, we've been doing this yes. media hacking forever. Right. Yes. And that kind of sort of lols thing is, is internet culture. Right? Yeah, that's and, right. And 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 but it is developed in a weird way that's disgusting to the people who don't get it. Yeah. Just like just like Tchaikovsky could be disgusting to kids who don't get it. Yeah, that's and right. I think and I think that's that's and and I do think that that notion of being familiar with a certain kind of music. Yeah. And having other music just not make sense to you is kind of like the disconnect. And to your point about the the you know speaking in full sentences with you know with proper punctuation yeah. and capitalization just sounds like Latin to people who don't Absolutely. care, right? Right. Both, I mean, like, both, why, both yeah. illegible and pretentious. 
You know, that yeah. like the, the, so I'm with you on, on, on a, on a crucial fact. I, I, you know, started using computers in a fluky, fluky way, the internet in 1979. So it was like ARPANET era. I was a child. You know, I, I dialed into a mainframe that, uh, John Kameny set up in, uh, Hanover, New Hampshire. He taught me basic as a child. Uh, it was a, it was a charmed accident. It was the kind of thing that's happened to you a hundred thousand times and happened to me that one time, but thank God one time. So I was using a, you know, Zenith Z19 dumb terminal to dial in. And I was looking in that deep space for so long that I, it just became a habit of mine to try to fathom what was behind the phosphor letters. <laughs> and, um, you know, I established my mental space in that addictive time and my, you know, when I first saw, and this is where we get to curation, when I first saw the Xerox come Apple interface, the 2E and then the, or the Macintosh, mm-hmm. I had that experience that I expect you had too, which was fury and horror that I was now being shut out, condescended to, and I had no access to the machine anymore, mm-hmm. that this was propaganda and I was being patronized and matronized by smiley faces that mm-hmm. no longer took my intelligence seriously. And mm-hmm. I think when I hear, and you know, by men, I mean, maybe people who had that experience. Um, so I include myself in this category, but when I hear, especially men, when I consult with startups, a lot of times there's talk of, the hatred of these middlemen, whether it's department stores or book publishers or whatever mm-hmm. that separate them from the machine. They mm-hmm. just are like, get out of the way. I want to, you know, get my mortgage from better mortgage where I, there's no one selling me. I don't want to anyone mm-hmm. to sell me mm-hmm. on a mortgage, mm-hmm. right? Cause of the big short and all that thing in the banks mm-hmm. and whatever. I just mm-hmm. want me and the money or like James Altucher is always like, you got to publish yourself. Everybody's got mm-hmm. their hand in the till if you do it the other way. A lot of times another voice says equally powerful voice. We're missing curation. There's mm-hmm. no, you know, levels. There's not enough humanity on this end. You know, there's not enough mm-hmm. like in the tickle me Elmo thing where, you know, the best Christmas breakthrough toys are innovative technology on the inside, fur on the outside, fur mm-hmm. and eyes like Elmo. And, um, and you know, it depends on your relation to those fur and eyes. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe that is, you know, the sweetening fact of existence. Maybe that's the thing that turns barbarism into civilization and trade. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's the thing that, you know, has contempt for the individual, has contempt for our liberties and our mental liberties. So, so I guess my, 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 my thought on that um, uh, has a little bit to do. So, so let me give a, a, a comparison and then suggest a hypothesis. So, so in Japan, the ultimate luxury is, as you might know, the Japanese omakase, which is you just let the chef give yes. you whatever they yes. want to give you. And and I used to even stay at an inn where the innkeeper would choose what restaurant I would go to, when I would take my bath. I didn't have to think about anything. The best. And and that was the best because then when I was working on a, on writing something, I just but and everything was perfect. But that's because I trusted them mm. and they knew me. Right. And in America, it's kind of the opposite. Like, oh, I want this dressing on the side and and, and no peppers. And can I have like twice the olives and control of your meal is like the ultimate sort of restaurant experience. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm exaggerating. But but I think it has a lot to do with the intent and the social context of that curation. Right. So so I think when the Macintosh came out, it wasn't for us. That's why we hated it. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? If, If it had been designed in this kind of beautiful way with still the, 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 the green fonts and, but it, but it was just so much easier to use. Yeah. We kind of would have loved it. So, so, so I, I think that the curation is kind of a, the design and, and I think that the, the, the disconnect, if we go back to sort of the, the, the kids on the net today thing is that, you know, the, the mainstream media, the book publisher, those curators aren't really talking or aren't of the community. And so I think what's happening right now is you are seeing, and we started out talking about fake news, but yes. but we're seeing a new generation of curators. That's right. That are feeding people kind of what they want. And the meta question really, and I don't know the answer to this because this is probably some sort of statistical distribution, but I think a lot of people know it's fake news. You know, yeah, that, and, of course. Right? And, and it's kind of just for yucks. And yeah. the fact that and we get 
all up in arms because how could these kids be believing all this stuff? And it turns out probably most of them don't even believe it. And they just think it's funny. Right. Yeah. Remember the, <laughs> the yeah, the guy that, uh, that shot up unfatally, fortunately, the, that pizza place said, you know, the Intel wasn't a hundred percent, you know, that it wasn't <laughs> actually a child sex ring. I mean, that is just, he, you know, it was like six of one half dozen of the other when he got there, you know, on the way mm-hmm. he was like, I just wanted to investigate it myself. And he's mm-hmm. one person. I mean, this is the problem that, you know, the, the, we in the media took Trump literally, but not seriously, like n- apparent, you know, evidently, or the argument is that at his rallies, nobody took build a wall seriously. They just heard in it f- something fun, the chorus to some, you know, kind of heavy metal song, or as you say, sex pistol song, and knew that that meant we want need a more responsible immigration policy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that is a, actually a very sophisticated kind of reading that, you know, college educated people don't quite learn to do. Mm-hmm. I also think that the literalism is an affectation in the media. So, you know, I think grab them by the pussy when Trump said that to, mm-hmm. to say that he, you know, and this is where like literary language turns into legal language to say that he was threatening to sexual assault um, or had, or confessing to sexual assault mm-hmm. and should be prosecuted for that. I mean, the truth is we actually do know what locker room talk is mm-hmm. and you know, that there was nothing literal in what he was mm-hmm. saying. I mean, this is notwithstanding, you know, the testimony of other people, mm-hmm. which happens in a legal context, but mm-hmm. I think reading all those contexts is yet another, uh, mm-hmm. cognitive burden. Yeah. Um, on all of us. And when you turn to your, your omakase, uh, you know, uh, curator, the chef who makes those choices, partly that is to relieve the strain mm-hmm. of how do we read all this material? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, yeah. And, and, and I think part of it is if we talk now about what we need to do is to draw the humanity out. So like, I, I remember just a couple of incidents. So I, I used to work at a, a club in Chicago called the Smart Bar. And I brought the staff to Tokyo and we ran a nightclub. And one of the guys, Bobby D. Bartolo, and unfortunately he passed away, uh, would wore these tight black jeans. He was, a, he would, he was, he played the electric drill in the band called Rev- Revolting Cox. And, and, and he never washed his pants and he didn't wear any underwear. So he would come to my house and he'd put newspaper on the chair to sit down to have a meeting with me because he had incredible respect. And, you know, and then, and then I was walking down the street once in Tokyo and I saw this guy with a mohawk and a leather jacket and studs and it had a big button that said, fuck off and die. And I bumped into him by accident. He said, Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. You know? And, and so what's, what's interesting is that there's like, even in this sort of punk rock thing, there's humanity in everyone. Right. And, and I think that's that's what's, I think what's key is to sort of figure out what, but, but having said that, I bet, my values and Trump's values are very different and my, our views on women are very different. And so, so it's, it's nuanced, right? It's, you can't take it literally, but you kind of have to so also see it as a signal, but you have to yeah. make sure you don't misread the signal. And I think that, 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 that liter, literacy, cause, cause, cause again, calling people deplorable or calling them illiterate, that's, that's not useful because they're literate in a different language, right? There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot in Magic and Loss about how each, how subsequent generations or particular styles of reading always condemn the next one. So, you mm-hmm. know, the Latin Bible is the Vulgate, is the, vul, is the vulgar popular Bible, you mm-hmm. know, that doesn't, that's like meant to be for, for Romans and for conversion purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and now Latin is, you know, obviously the height of pretension. Torah scroll readers believed that unless you could find your way in a scroll, you mm-hmm. know, and a lot of it was about orienting yourself in the text, you and and supply the vowels yourself that kept the club you know it's like sushi Mm. makers you know it was like you create a a, you know enough of a tier so that the scribe class can be you know keep its Mm -hmm. ranks close um then they saw the codex the roman Mm -hmm. codex with cut Mm -hmm. pages how condescending it was like the the mac oh now Mm -hmm. you get to turn the numbered pages everyone can find their place and look at latin with its easy to read style as Mm -hmm. opposed to the hebrew um and, uh, you know, the same has gone on with tweets aren't real language and so mm-hmm. on. Um, I wonder if, and I'm just going to float this out here. I wonder if people who grew up with Asian languages or with, uh, with pictographic languages, um, have had more of a facility for, 
um, for reading uh, online. I mean, reading hmm. code, I mean, for one, 140, 140 characters, which is the word mm -hmm. in both languages, um, is, uh, is quite long for a Confucianism. Well, you know? yeah. Well, so I, I helped launch Twitter in Japan, and there's a huge debate ah. about we sh whether we should allow 140 characters, which is two bytes per character, yes. which is actually two, two, 280. And, and also, in what one word can be one character, right? So, right. So, that, so you could write a whole novel in 140 characters. And, could, wait, and so, I, I want to I actually hear that. Could you really write a novel? You could write a lot, and 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 in fact, too much. So the spirit of mm. tweeting in Japanese was completely different because you could write so much. So yeah. so that was a that to me in a weird way was a problem. But to 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 give you one though one really interesting. This is now a while ago, but I remember, um, uh, and this is now years ago. But on the early days of the mobile phone, um, J Japan has a literary prize called the Octagawa Award, which is goes to really just the top. Um, um, usually novelists of of the year, yeah. and 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 somebody had written a whole book on a phone to be read on a phone. Yes, and it and it won the award, right? And and I and I don't think there as and, and this is these little s stupid feature phones, not a smartphone, yeah, right? Yeah, I remember. And yeah, and 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 so so I do think that um that the the way that you read um pictograms, Japanese and Chinese, um is uh. It does change um, the way that you you can read on a smaller screen. I think the way that you can and and also when you look at um, Chinese sayings and Chinese philosophy, mm. they're kind of like short bumper sticker quotes. Yeah, you know, and so long sentences like um, you know, more than not that long, but more than enough is too much is like probably three characters or something like that. So so it it is it is really interesting and it, it's kind of almost like a little item of art rather than a a uh, a series of letters and yeah. so 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 it's i think i think it's it's different and I, I don't want to overstate it but but people also have mapped that the way your brain processes um the 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 um the chinese characters which have yeah. meaning and sound is a different part of your brain than that does the the pattern recognition of sequences and in Japanese, you use both. Yeah. So you, you're, it bounces around. So the way that your your brain processes it is also very different. That yeah, because Japanese uses there's an informal version or a well, not the well, non Chinese. Well, it's what are they it's mixed it's mixed up. So you have um, the Japanese hiragana, which are uh, are basically like alphabet. They they're mm -hmm. they're, they're sounds, mm -hmm. and then you have Chinese characters which have meaning. Yeah. Um, but also sounds. And so what you can do is you can take a, a, a page and just scan the Chinese characters and you get a very quick hit of what it's going to be about. And right. then the uh, and then the conjugations and the the extra stuff is all written in, in this other um, character set. Is, is I, do you you read in Chinese? Yeah, I could. I, not oh. well, though. I, 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 I try. Is it closer <laughs> to reading code? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know. Probably not really. I think that English probably grammar and stuff has more syntax. Mm. Um, having said that, there are fewer words by maybe an order of magnitude than in English. So um, in that sense, maybe it is more like code in that, you know, a lot of it is um, how it's put together. But I haven't really thought of it. That's a that's a good question. You know, they're probably they're probably both code, but different types of code. You know? Right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, yeah, learning learning decryption or learning to learning to decode is is uh, and like and also what language are you translating them into? You know, so like to read. So mm -hmm. I mean, these are these are questions. I will say, I know I'm I'm like a broken record on this, and I have a dog in the race for the humanities. But mm -hmm. you know, this has been of interest in the humanities for a long time, and it was especially um, fruitfully invest, you know, discussed by the deconstructionists in the '70s mm -hmm. and '80s. Um, and uh, you know, some of that can be really fascinating. I wonder about uh, Cyrillic in this way. Um, but I also, I, I actually want to ask you something even more, more contemporary than that is, uh, emoji and, um, and gifts. Um, mm -hmm. since, since I, I'm, ge I'm get, getting that this new form of literacy and even consumer end literacy, not mm -hmm. understanding Bitcoin, but understanding being able to read and use gifts, um, mm -hmm. and emoji 
is that a a vocabulary that interests you that mm-hmm. do you think it constitutes a whole new language is it even valuable mm-hmm. to wonder those things i i think yes i think it is uh, uh i mean i think i think that the thing that um uh i believe is if everybody starts doing something it it is and yeah. if it is then you have to accept it right whether it's a new form whether whether you believe in hip hop is or what, what whatever right so so i think yeah. the fact that everybody is using it um it it's a thing yeah. and then i think that when enough people use it it starts to create its own um uh sophistication and culture uh and i think it, i i you know first of all i i i I dropped out of college to become a disc jockey in a nightclub in Chicago because I found that the culture of the working class people who hung around in clubs and it was during the AIDS uh, epidemic and how they supported each other was so much more sophisticated Mm. than the kids that were all had nearly the same values. uh, were all studying the same thing and this kind of monoculture that I had. And and so to me, I think underestimating working class people in terms of their ability to have culture, to be thoughtful, to be sophisticated is a big mistake we always make. Um, and, and, and I think that a lot of this sort of emoji culture and stuff like that, all they're doing, again, getting back to moving the game, they're, they're now – their their art is in a different place. Mm-hmm. That's why you don't see it. And or that's why some people don't see it. And I think it's um, it's it's really interesting to try to uh, uh understand but it's hard because it's hard like mm-hmm. trying to learn a new kind of poetry or a new kind of music after you're old right because it, it your, your your neurons aren't going to rewire and 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 i think that a lot of this has to do literally because because we know that language fundamentally changes the way your 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 yep. your brain is wired yep. that being able to differentiate between r's and l's japanese can't neurologically do it or b's and p's sound the same mm-hmm. in certain languages so mm-hmm. similarly i think the kids who have grown up texting yeah. Don't want all this extra flur stuff. Yeah. They need to compress, but then they need to figure out how and, and a lot of it has to do with timing, a lot of it has to do with pulling cultural references and this is this I think also is a key, is a key thing is we're now always connected, right? Yeah. So so school is about training people to be on top of a mountain all by themselves with a number two pencil. That's what the training is for. <laughs> what kids have today is they've got Google, they've got gifts, they're yeah. constantly connected, they're fast and they don't have time. And so yeah. what you're doing is you're trying to pull these things. And the gift thing is exactly that. Like, how can I pull a cultural reference mm-hmm. into this conversation where I don't have to sit and write a paragraph in full sentences? Yeah. I can just slap a gift and and and, and it's, it's like perfectly timed and you get the whole thing. You could never have done this in the past because no, you didn't right. have the same sort of cultural references you didn't have the internet memes and so the and this is kind of a, a, a you know what john c brown might call um the power of pull it's yeah. pu- pulling these insane cultural references into conversations yeah. um that people understand what you're doing so it's kind of like a compression algorithm almost that's yeah so wait to explain that the push-pull thing more because I, I know that's important to you and it's it's a really powerful yeah, I, you know, I think the the physical version really was during the Japanese manufacturing, um, uh, sort of just in time. Don't stock all the inventory; get it as you need it. Yeah. The 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 corporate version is don't command and control from the center, mm-hmm. pull innovation from the edges. So mm-hmm. the internet version is also pull things as you need them. I mean, like don't download every single web page you'd ever want to read. <laughs> just bookmark them. Or better, just remember what Google search term you need to use. And 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 similarly, I think that um, when you see like emoji or when you see these GIFs, what you're really doing is you're saying, okay, um, I bet this set of people I'm talking to all would get this internet meme. I'm going to drop it right now and save me from having to come up with a whole bunch of things to try to make, try to explain myself, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, just so we don't land too hard on a wonderfully, perfectly commercial TED talk, um, <laughs> I want to, I want to just like problematize this for a minute and say, yeah. um, what do you make of what uh, David Sachs just called the revenge of the analog, um, or the sort of, you know the pushback of uh, three-dimensional culture, of the body, of mortality. Um, and, you know, when I say that, and, and David Sachs's book is mostly concerned with that, uh, uh, you know, the 
that is an aesthetic question, right? That like, as you say, the like longing uh, over and against digital culture, the longing for original instruments or the music we grew up with or vinyl mm-hmm. um, and that sort of impressionistic language we use mm-hmm. against w- about what's lost. And I talk about this a little bit in the book, but that the, you know, is it, is, is that muddy bass sound that you get on, on vinyl, the like bad part of the vinyl recording, that's mm-hmm. what we call warmth. You know, because it's just like, well, that's how mommy used to talk to me. So it's got to be good. You know, like when I pass the church on my corner and there it's hymns from my childhood, I suddenly just think like, now that is good music. One thing I know, just evaluating it empirically, that music is better than other people's music because I remember it from when I was seven. Well, anyway, I think that's only one reason the analog might push back. And there are more, a little more cynical reasons um, mm-hmm. for one, it, there's, it's, there's security in Warcraft. So, uh, you know, you may have seen the Navy for fear of, of cyber attacks on GPS technologies is now teaching sailors on sextants and compasses and, and even mm-hmm. celestial navigation in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so, and, and then, and then, you know, and obviously you see a ton of things where like, Goldman Sachs, you know, ha- tries to have more live meetings because they mm-hmm. don't want anything in email. Mm-hmm. The, the let's discuss live LDL hashtag that's in there mm-hmm. in their emails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, so that's security. And then there's also a commercial reason, which is that, um, intellectual property is very, very expensive to make. You know, mm-hmm. all that goes into the making of Joey Ito, all that goes in, you know, to the, to the making of, you know, I was looking one time at the Times and there was a photograph, Syria or something uh, on mm-hmm. the print times. And I was thinking language training. This person's educa- the photographer's education, mm-hmm. the education of the person that edited the caption, the education of the person that edited the photo and her ethical commitment to not editing it deceptively, mm-hmm. the color mix, the printers, the paper, the workers who distribute it. And then in the, uh, and then, you know, uh, anyway, she had to take hundreds of photos. They were in pixels. They were digital. They had to be transmitted. All that is an enormous amount of investment in the educations of the players involved, and then also in the creation of this one thing. And mm-hmm. someone had left that newspaper, on, you know, uh, barely looked at it, and left it in a cafe. And that's mm-hmm. just one, a few square inches of the newspaper. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, so people won't pay for that picture, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they won't mm-hmm. even pay for the newspaper, maybe a little bit, you know, a fraction of a penny now. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, then the New York Times does quite well selling mugs. Crossword mm-hmm. puzzle print books, uh, umbrellas, which cost, cost a vanishingly small amount of money to make, you know, mm-hmm. abroad. So, you know, you have stuff, 3D objects in the world, mm-hmm. cost almost nothing, and you can mm-hmm. charge quite a bit for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the markup mm-hmm. is actually incalculable. And mm-hmm. intellectual property, like our books, mm-hmm. you know, or like this conversation, mm-hmm. which, uh, which, you know, take a lot and, 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 and don't command high prices or any price. Um, mm-hmm. so that I think, you know, the merchandising, the commercial world, I mean, someone was just mm-hmm. talking about Amazon as a digital company. Amazon moves more stuff as mm-hmm. George Carlin used to say, you know, where's my stuff, um, mm-hmm. than, you know, than, than any, you know, than anyone else in the world. And, mm-hmm. uh, and has convinced us we need all kinds of tchotchkes in place mm-hmm. of the intellectual property that, you know, potentially mm-hmm. used to be enough. You know, so I think there's a lot in what you just said. Yes. Um, but but I, I will say that, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, the 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 cultural machine, there's always a, a, a delay, a lag. Yep. Right. And and I think that for a while, um, the intellectual stuff, the intellectual property was the scarce thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there were, yeah. there's a lot of stuff. But there really weren't that many new stories around the the the, the fire and the the and 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 so so that became the thing and the machine started creating it, but now you know I I do think that that you know yet another Facebook post starts to feel banal yeah and that's the ordinary and yet another scary news piece or yet yeah. another scientific invention and and what's actually scarce is the face-to-face is mm. the smell is the um 
and 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 so 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 there's definitely that kind of swinging back. Um, I mm-hmm. think that 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 scarcity is also important, and I think again, I think that the the, the authenticity and the physical is 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 scarce. Mm-hmm. I think brands and their ability to gatekeep. I used to run a nightclub, so I know. I mean, yeah. it's all about who gets in and who's not in. Yeah, and 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 that that also is a different kind of scarcity because you sort of because the thing is, I think if it becomes too everywhere, yeah. then there's no value in being in it. And and then there's also and 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 again this in your book you're talking about art and and if you think about sort of like the notion of camp yeah you know, and 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 it's the desire of those places that are so dense in in culture to try to create an identity um, when everything is so intense yeah is 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 pretty interesting to look at because it, in a way you know it feels like. Uh, um, that some of so you can either escape to weird things like getting off of social media or yeah. you know or you know going all the way and becoming you know an an uh, a internet troll i mean these are mm-hmm. all ways of trying to get out of the banal of being yet another friend on facebook right so yeah. so 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 i think these are but but i think you can tie them to things like identity i think you can tie them to the need for having sort of these um and, and everybody has some different place to express their aesthetics um but but it, but but no i i totally agree and 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 uh, um you know and and i think you know you just go get to these moments where you've just got more than enough is too much and people start to feel it and 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 what's interesting i mean even when we talk about um uh climate change or capitalism you know even when things when like things eventually run their course mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so if you're if you're in silicon valley you might believe in this singularity thing <laughs> that, that 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 this time around there that it, it, it doesn't upward, turn yeah. in yeah, that okay. doesn't turn into an S-curve. But I'm an S-curve person, and I mm-hmm. believe that just about any kind of growth at some point, even if it's unchecked, will eventually run its course. You know, and yeah. I and I feel like what you're expressing is a kind of the running of the course of this techno-utopian period that we just had. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's shifting now. We'll we'll start seeing yeah. uh, utopianism in other places. But um, but but it but it feels you know and and this is kind of what we started out talking about a little bit which mm. is you know it it feels good that it's not all good or all bad that it's in fact this kind of wonderfully Buddhist balance. Absolutely, um, that's uh, I mean this the this line that I still can't get enough of of Marshall McLuhan's electronic circuitry is orientalizing the West, um, like d- replacing the discrete you know separate with the fused. Um, and, um, you know, in his usual prescience, I mean, and he's, he thought electronic circuitry was, uh, was an extension of the human nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I do think that secular mindfulness and Buddhism may be the, well, I used to think that it was the religion of the internet or the practice of the internet mm-hmm. of digital culture. And it certainly is ascendant, but then what you have, and I realized that, you know, Trump is in the position of being the disruptor, but he's also, he, he plays anyway, a builder. He plays a, you know, creator of actual, you know, 3D masonry chunk in the land, not even steel that moves, but gold, you know, that's supposed to hold its value. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he's anti-finance, although obviously he's hired these, the Goldman Sachs and so forth, but preaches against the banks. I mean, this is typically that like reactionary response. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. gold standard people over and against finance, paper money, credit cards, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, un, un, unfixed interest rates, um, or against interest at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is the argument that, that people have for any kind of anti-abstraction, you know, mm-hmm. that like, mm-hmm. let's return to a state of war because it's commerce and capitalism that like, mm-hmm. you know, feminized us or like overly sweetened our existences and what we really, you know, our primal selves are in a state of war. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, yes, I think there's like, I think things, you know, and I love that's when you say the S curve, that's that very simple sentence that I don't think could appear in any other tech book that you have in yours. So it goes. I mean, <laughs> that is like this runic you, that side of you that is just like, I don't think that that's in the, in our haste to nail mm. declarative sentences about, you know, the nature of reality. It's very few of us say, so it goes. And, uh, you know, that's sort of like the, 
height of utopianism and then maybe this dialectic where we're in some mm -hmm. kind of antithetical period. Um, and, and actually, actually, I would attribute that phrase to my co-author. I think we did a lot of writing together, but I think it may have been Jeff that that wrote that. But uh, but we had a mind meld. So I'll share in the in the, the, in the philosophy behind it. Well, I I also I, th I I've heard you say similar things. I mean, that like what could go wrong with the mm -hmm. you know genetically modifying mm -hmm. those mice? Um, you know, possibly a lot. But that's mm -hmm. uh, you know, but that's yep. something that I think we have to respect. I think tech writers. Um, you know, sorry, I'm, I'm just suddenly reminded of one other thing I wanted to talk to you about. You, in a discussion of the media lab, MIT Media Lab bringing in biologists mm -hmm. to sort of sit front and center in labs that used to be for technologists, you say biology is technology. And that mm -hmm. reminded me in, in, that in Magic and Loss, um, you know, partly to sell this book and partly to, because my pitches to magazines were more readily accepted. I stopped mm -hmm. talking about culture and I sort of realized culture maybe has is like if we were in a gendered language, that's the feminine version mm -hmm. of the word and technology, mm -hmm. the masculine mm -hmm. version mm -hmm. of the word. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. mean, these are made things. There's nothing mm -hmm. different about them from a, a piece of music technology. Mm -hmm. So then I wondered, might we go so far as to say biology as culture and vice versa, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which, you know, doesn't please scientists because it's awfully close to you know, the constant G is a construct of poets, <laughs> right, you know, right. but um, yeah. I, I mean, what I think, I can't remember if Nicholas is the one that first said it, but, but we're now using the phrase at the media lab called saying the end of the artificial and ah. the notion that you can't really tell the difference now between nature and man-made yeah. and we're designing nature and nature's designing us. And, and this is kind of what you're talking about as well, which is kind of the, the culture versus nature, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's completely integrated, right? And, yeah, absolutely. I just heard, uh, heard a very, well, it, it's a, a lecture that was given in 1980 and has been rehearsed many times since, um, about, uh, artificial intelligence. And mm -hmm. it was the first iteration of the Chinese room theory of, of John Searle. And, uh, you know, this is the idea, obviously, that, 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 um, a little box, even if it was staffed by someone who could retrieve and, you know, retrieve Chinese phrases at, at, at any second, that that wouldn't be a brain. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he asked us to wonder, um, you know, about the difference between a brain and that, that Chinese room. And um, I couldn't, you know, I was on the internet by 1980. So mm -hmm. I don't know really what a box that has knowledge in that way looks like every box I use obsessively mm -hmm. from this phone to this computer mm -hmm. is uh, Wi-Fi enabled. And mm -hmm. so there's so the, this artificial intelligence mm -hmm. in my mm -hmm. computer, the mm -hmm. fact that mm -hmm. I can pull to me, what does mm -hmm. Joey Ito think of this? I don't mm -hmm. need to, I'm not worried anymore if this is intelligence or not intelligence that mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. laptop knows the answer to very sophisticated mm -hmm. questions. And, mm -hmm. and I, I have no doubt that, that I speak to some extent Chinese when I use Google Translate, you know, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. that I know things in Wikipedia when I ask Wikipedia, mm -hmm. you know, those, mm -hmm. that is thinking and it's this, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you study neuroscience and the nature of memory, it's really bad, you know, and every time we re recall memory, you forget it. And I did a deposition the other day um, and they were reading my emails and they said, do you, did you say this? And I said, well, I don't remember. And even if I did, it probably is wrong. So I would just suggest that you, if you haven't tampered with the email, I suggest you just believe what I said at the time, you know, and, 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 and it's, it's interesting because we, we were talking about fake news and we have fake memories, right? So, yeah. so, so, so I think that this notion that there are these absolutes and that somehow our brain is sacred in some way is kind of ridiculous and, and, I, mm. and, and at the media lab we use this term extended intelligence to talk about where we think AI is going which is that it's going to be embedded in the system and it's just a collective intelligence with machines and human brains and sometimes human brains are good at certain things and sometimes machines are good at other things but it's a kind of a stochastic system yeah. that averages out and does something random like vote for Trump sometimes and <sighs> sometimes it does great things like um, measure gravitational waves but 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 it, but it's it's really this funny system that we live in and as you as you said you know and, and so it goes we're here you know yeah <laughs> can you can you actually take a a morally and emotionally 
neutral position. I mean, you say that you get some comfort from the S curve and from so it goes. And since I turn to ideas for healing, mm-hmm. you know, I more than uh, physical comfort, mm-hmm. um, that also pleases me in some ways. And sometimes I can get in that Gaia perspective of like, well, the forests have to build down, you know, burn down and maybe people need to get AIDS so that they'll die. And that's the waste product that's the, of our great living organism. And then other times, and I don't know if this is the nostalgic or the superstitious side of me, I can't be that cold blooded. Other mm-hmm. times I'm just like, no, it's morally wrong that mm-hmm. AIDS or Lyme disease, you know, mm-hmm. trounced so much of the population. Yeah. So it, 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 I, I think we all have different parts of our brain that have different personalities and different values. So yeah. when I'm in my personal human procreation yeah. perspective, I have things that I feel bad and I, I want to do this. I want, I have intention. Yeah. But when I get into the kind of metaphysical, I've just meditated for half an hour yeah. looking from outer space mode, then I look at things like Trump and say, how fascinating, you know, yeah. rather than holy shit. Right. And so, yeah. so, but, but I think, I think you could have both. I think you can be at different levels and this yeah. is kind of a design across scales. I think you have to be able to look at the world at every scale and sort of, and, and, and own the fact that it's internally not consistent with itself because we're a bunch of microbes. Yeah. We're also a gene that wants to procreate. We're also ideas that want to get out and transmit in the world. Yeah. We're also part of nature, which doesn't really give a shit if we're still around, right? So, yeah. so, so, so it kind of, it's like which state of consciousness you were on yeah. has a very different sen- sense of like, good or evil so i I, I think but but i think you have to own each one because you still are a body and a part of society but also part of nature and and so 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 kind of like where you give a shit should be sort of kind of somewhat fluid i think yeah there's you know there's um there's a passage i don't know why melville's on my mind but there's a passage in in moby dick that for some reason comes to mind it's it's ishmael at the masthead so you know he's the sailor who's been conscripted into service to uh, or volunteered for service on ahab's monomaniacal ship he's at the top of the masthead he's supposed to be um looking for whales and his shift is long it's almost overnight and he starts to talk about the amazing beauty of being at the masthead, that his mind is free. It's like what you describe as like, this is fascinating to just like, just be lost in this thing of looking for the spout of the whale and wondering where the waves show the whale. And then he is a, a, enough lost in it that he almost loses his hold on the masthead, the thing keeping him alive. Mm-hmm. And it says his identity slips back to him in horror. Mm-hmm. You know, he's about to crash. And he mm-hmm. says, heed it well, ye pantheists. Pantheists being that fascinated person who is, mm-hmm. or that sort of Buddhist person who can be, mm-hmm. um, you know, tapped out to the continuities between our mental space and outer space, our ment- mm-hmm. mental space and the ocean, that the, they're mm-hmm. all part of the same thing. But mm-hmm. then there's the absolute fear that our personal lives are going to end and what a tragedy that would be and what mm-hmm. our short time on earth is. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to not have that. I mean, I know mm-hmm. there may be, maybe the Dalai Lama, you know, mm-hmm. isn't fixated on his own death, but the rest of us, you mm-hmm. know, for the rest of us that, that, you know, our mortality is, is such a feature of our lives, um, yep. uh, our short lives. Yeah. It's like you're in the matrix and somebody might unplug you. you know? it's <laughs> exactly. Like, they're exactly. different worlds, but. But yeah, I think it's best to be healthy at every layer. You know, I think that's yeah. that's what we sort of want to strive for. Is your what's your meditation practice? I mean, did you? So, so I go back and forth. Now I'm doing qigong. Oh yeah. Um, because I I I have a I have a good teacher right now, and yeah. uh, before I it, it it it's it's changing. I used to just do like thirty to twenty minutes in the morning, and then I did it longer. I started doing qigong, um, but uh, but I'm not a I don't. I don't have a, uh, you know, I'm not on a pursuit along a path. I've always yeah. been, I, I teach a class um, on awareness with a, uh, uh, a monk um, named Tenzin Priyadarshi and, uh, and he's, he's, he's really good. And so, but I, I the, the class is great because I force every student as part of the class to meditate every morning. And um, so during that class, I also experiment with uh, meditation and then that always resynchronizes me every year. So. 
I love the yeah, those like syncretic systems and and you know to the extent that uh, that I that I do this or read Buddhist literature I that that as you describe having both the fascination and the you know knowledge that we can't live here long and there's an imperative that some of us feel to reproduce and the microbes and so on um, we I love that it starts in the body yep. you know yep. because um, there's nothing it's almost it's so defiantly physical where it begins in this like fathom long body. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and it's like, what could be more different than like living in the cloud you know, yeah, yeah, than yeah. living here in the body. So, you know, in some ways the idea that, that some kind of Buddhist practice or awareness, mindfulness practice is going to dematerialize us is not true. That like, mm -hmm. you know, the, one of the practices I do is all about the tongue and the yep. teeth. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think this like almost you keep I keep hearing millennials say I was looking at an old growth tree the other day. The interface of that thing, you know, <laughs> where you just it's are like, nice. well, you looked up, you know, you looked up. So, so yeah, I, I need to run. Of I think course. The next meeting is Thanks here. Thanks for staying so but long. This, this has been this has been super fun. So much fun. And, should, and as usual, we should do it again sometime. Yeah, I'll meet you uh, on Facebook. Take Thanks care. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank